You're now listening to Vices and Vultures, a podcast on cultures. Korean fine dining restaurant, which is actually really exciting because that's uh, when we last interviewed, I, I had explained to you what like my ideal restaurant would be like, and I'm actually kind of working for one that I feel like is 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 kind of close to that vision. But um, it's called it's called Atomix, A T O M I X. Wow, yo, that's crazy! I love the growth, man. Um, congrats, that's awesome. Where's it located? Thanks. It's on Thirtieth and Park Avenue in Manhattan. Nice, nice. I'm gonna keep that in mind, um, especially like knowing, knowing you being in the industries that you are. Um, but anyways, so good to hear from you. Thank you for making the time. Um, started rolling um, just to get everything moving. Uh, yeah. Are you moving the time up because you have something coming up, uh, or what's up? I, I just want to know like a. A cutoff time for you yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean I, I can i can be with you for a good hour from from right now okay cool 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 we, we can get everything done within then if that so anyways like i said before um my cousin is here so bh say what's up um we just uh how you doing what's up man yeah i was listening i was listening to your podcast this morning you know oh just really to bring, yeah <laughs> just to brainstorm a little bit um thanks man yeah you sound very different <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. That, 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 well, that's a good. That, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, the, the editing sounds different. Do you do all the episodes at BetaWorks? Yeah, I do it at BetaWorks Studios. Nice. Because yeah, it, yeah, I was telling him that this morning. It sounded clean, like, you know. Yeah, it's a good. It's a cool setup. I think. Uh, I think AJ, you were in there once, but um, when we were doing recording there, right. but they have, they have the. That all the equipment there, whether that's like the Rode Procaster, which is just the the go to, I think, uh, equipment to use for podcasting, and they also have Sure mics, which I think is also the state of art. Yes, all of that. I actually saw that particular starter kit for podcasting. Yeah. Um, online as I was researching for um, for a client. It's kind of steep though, so I, I'm glad I can use theirs because I definitely wouldn't buy it myself. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely expense. Like, um, I don't know how much of podcast news you follow, but yeah. as far as tech goes, uh, like hundreds of millions of dollars are being put into it right now, so it's it's yeah. getting it's getting kind of lucrative. For sure. So, um, but I'm excited for it. Uh, uh one of the things that I've, obviously you're gonna talk about, um originally interviewed Arnold for the first iteration of this podcast, Unpacked, and uh, since then, a lot has happened. Uh, you didn't even have your podcast going on with um, when I interviewed you, so let's start there. Talk about With Warm Welcome. Uh, it's in its second season, so definitely talk about that first because I like the niche that you're going for, but just talk about it in general as well. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, but... Um... With one welcome uh, started like like you like to your point when we were interviewing that's kind of when I was thinking and brainstorming this idea of a podcast that I wanted to do and the first iteration um, when I was doing with one welcome I was at a different restaurant so I was working at a restaurant called Eleven Madison Park um, which is on Twenty Fourth and you know literally on the park in, in Madison Square and it was an amazing restaurant i mean it's won all the awards it could possibly win 
in kind of the restaurant world. Um, it's been named number one in the world in 2017 by World's Food Do Best. Uh, it has three Michelin stars, which is the most amount of stars you can get from Michelin Guide. It has four stars from the New York Times, which is the most stars you can get from the New York Times. So it's an award-winning Oof. restaurant. And uh, it's kind of the best of the best, right? Um, so when I was working there, I was just super inspired by my time there in terms of hospitality and service and just taking care of people. And I was wondering if that kind of idea of taking care of one another could transcend that industry itself, meaning could hospitality be something outside of the world of restaurants and hotels? Mm, okay. um, and so that was kind of how the first iteration of Live Walking came to be. And, you know, I had you on the show as well. And I had a lot of like creative people that I thought were doing interesting things that I've always wanted to network with and meet with and spend more time with. Because one of the things about working in restaurants is I don't really get to choose who gets to come into my restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. like, the guests choose us, but sometimes that might not be mutual. Like I will get into conversation and do a lot of small talk, but sometimes it's, it's, it's not maybe something I was looking forward to, or maybe it's not my decision. So doing, doing the podcast was a way for me to kind of flip the tables around and be able to choose and pick who I wanted to talk to and have on the show. Mm, Um, so that was first season and you know, that was all great, but something, else happened which is i work at a different restaurant now which is a korean fine dining restaurant um called atomix which i thought would never happen in in a million years like i would never i never thought i would be saying that i'm working for a korean fine dining restaurant uh ever so that's that's the transition i've made since you know we last spoke and uh i think podcasting has to be a super personal thing i think it has to be a reflection almost an extension of who you are to make it as authentic as possible because that's i think what podcasting is about it's about vulnerability storytelling and kind of just sharing what you're going through in life right um so that being said since i'm at a korean restaurant i'm korean american i've become really passionate about my heritage and just this cultural cultural identity and doing more self-discovery about where i come from and in this process, I, I discovered that I wanted to change up the podcast direction a little bit and go, like you said, a little bit more niche, more specifically speaking about Asian American people and then speaking about Asian American restaurateurs or chef owners in New York City. So I selected nine people that I thought best represented their home country. So I featured uh, someone from, you know, someone that's a Korean American, Japanese American, Thai American, Filipino American, um, so on and so forth. And uh, they were so gracious enough to be on the show. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been fun. And that's kind of been season two. That's awesome. Why do you say that you, you, you didn't think you'd be working in a Korean fine dining restaurant? Uh, I say that because, first of all, I didn't know korean food could be done and executed at such a high level meaning i think if if you look at other cuisines japanese is a great example where i feel like when you look at japanese cuisine it's it's the entire spectrum like you have the really cheap izakayas that you can go in and get like a draft beer for a few dollars and you know order like a million things on the menu and kind of share with your friends and then you have all the way up to the omakase restaurants the sushi counter restaurants that are charging like 200 to even like $500 a head, like at Masa, which is one of the more well-known restaurants, sushi restaurants in New York City. So um, Japanese cuisine, I think, has developed and evolved into something that has a little bit of everything for everyone. 
And for me, like when I was looking at Korean cuisine, I thought that we were always at kind of the end of the spectrum, like the more uh, affordable, um, you know, uh, the cheaper, you know, for the lack of a better word, spectrum where we were known for kind of like the, you know, the tofu stews, Korean barbecue, Korean karaoke and everything. When you think about like Korean food, I feel like you attach it immediately with something that's kind of cheap. Um, which, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of what it is. Right. And so I think, it, I think for me, uh, as a Korean American, I was like, man, I'll, I'll, I mean, if you look at where I've worked, um, you know, in the past few years that I've been in this industry, I've worked at European restaurants, namely Italian, French, you know, and I've also even worked at actually a Japanese restaurant and a Chinese restaurant that are both kind of upscale, but I've never worked for a Korean restaurant before ever. Right. Um, which is crazy to say, but I think the time has come where people are more accepting and open-minded to trying new things. And I think uh, that also involves trying this new era of Korean uh, right. cuisine, which is so, very elevated. So do you feel like you made that change because you are com- Korean-American? Did, did, that have, did that have anything to do with it? That had everything to do with it, really. You know? and, I, and I'm glad you asked that question because I think representation is such an important thing. And for me, the most important thing for me is just being myself, I think. Right. And over the years, I realized that if I want to deliver the best hospitality, the best service, and put out the best version of myself, is to be unapologetic, and it's just to be me. So I'm looking at all the restaurants I've worked at, I'm like, you know what? Like, it does, it, that's just not me. That's not who I am. Like, right. 11 Madison Park is not me. It's, that's, that doesn't represent me. You know, I've worked at Soul House. Like, that's not me either. Like, all of these restaurants, uh, I feel like I was there for sure to learn certain things about the industry and operations side of things. But I think none of them really spoke to me on this interpersonal level, um, whereas Atomix is literally, uh, quite frankly, a, a reflection of me as a Korean-American. So, are you saying, like, there is a... So, the first restaurant that you were working... It was still an Asian-American restaurant, right? The first ever restaurant I, I worked in in New York City was Morimoto in Chelsea Market. And that was a... That was a Japanese Japanese? So, how, yeah. how different is it from the one that you're working in now? I know it's fine dining, but I'm talking in terms of food. Sure. I mean, so, Morimoto... Is a is is actually a really well known Iron Chef. He was on that show Iron Chef, and uh, that's kind of how he, you know, rose uh, to kind of the celebrity chef status. Right. Um, Mori Motor Restaurant was a, I mean, it's not fine dining, but it's definitely more upscale Japanese food. Kind of, it's very similar to Nobu. If you guys know Nobu, it's it's a very modern take on Japanese food, where I think they kind of mix. Uh, you know, using Japanese sashimi, but with American ingredients and flair and, and kind of that beautiful harmony and mix of things. So Morimoto is similar. I think it's definitely more of like a Japanese fusion restaurant. Um, we had sushi and sashimi and things like that, but we also had, uh, God, um, you know, a lot of a lot of dishes that I think were more uh, emblematic of a mixture of America and Japan instead of being like authentically Japanese. Um, so that was Morimoto, and that was like when I was 18, 17. I mean, that was my first job ever, and I was just a host and reservationist then. Um, the restaurant I'm at now, which is called Atomix, is a Korean fine dining restaurant. So the, the, the clear difference between the two would be the fact that like this one I'm working now is Korean, and then the other one is Japanese would be the main difference. Right. 
because you felt like it's interesting that you felt the need to make that change uh, in spite of this too restaurant being Asian restaurant anyway um, but you felt like you needed to go into to, you needed to go to a Korean Korean one specifically because of your heritage yeah you can say that right uh, you talk about uh, you talk about uh, transitioning back to Korea uh, am I right? I'm not transitioning back to Korea. Did you go to Korea for high school? Uh, I actually did. Yeah, I, I grew up at, so I grew up in LA, and then I went back to high school in Korea, and then I came back to the states, to New York specifically, to go to NYU for hospitality management. Oh, so you were born in Korea, moved to Cali. Yeah. And then after that, you went back to Korea for school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I came back again to New York. Yeah. How was that like? Uh, it's very interesting. People ask me that a lot, actually. And I think the typical story that you have is like someone is born in, you know, uh, a foreign country, whether it's Korea, Japan, China, wherever. And they come when they're young and they grow up here and they go, you know, they go through grade school here and then they go to college and that's kind of it. So for me, that kind of uh, the only reason that transpired, actually, is because my my uh, parents were splitting up. They were, getting, they were going through a divorce, and my dad was in Korea at the time, and my, I was living with my mom in L.A., and I actually, at the age of, like, what, 11, 12, had the decision to choose between living with my mom and my dad, which was <laughs> the most difficult decision probably right, I've ever right. had to make as an 11-year-old. <laughs> uh, and I have a younger brother, too, so I was also making the choice for him, which was, I, looking back on it, I'm like, damn, that's a lot of pressure. But That uh, is a lot of pressure. I, I ultimately decided that I wanted to go back home to Korea only because, I don't know, I think I was kind of interested in the idea of possibly living there and spending some time there because the thing is, even though I was born in Korea, I was basically born in the United States. Like, I came to the U.S. when I was five or six years old. So I pretty much grew up here, you know, with kind of this American way of thinking and American customs. So I think along the way, I kind of forgot about Korean customs and culture. So it was really fascinating to go back when I was like in my teens to to my to the motherland, if you will, right. um, to relearn about who I really am, right, and like where I come from, and, and uh, it was it was really really interesting. I, I really actually love the fact that I decided to go back because it really opened up my eyes a lot about um, kind of this duality of being Korean American. Yeah, that's fascinating, and you know, as I'm listening to you talk about. Um, your experience with uh, these different, um, not only the people that you've been interviewing more recently, but um, also the types of Asian restaurants that you've been working at. Um, you say earlier that Japanese uh, cuisine is seen as like one of the more common and like Korean, like fine dining is well, like one of the less, one of the like lesser known as of now. Um, and yeah. as, as time goes on, you're looking to put a light on that. So um, my question for you is, at what point, and you can use specific examples, at what point are you borrowing um, from other uh, ideas and inspirations um, within any aspect of um, restaurant and hospitality? You know, particularly between, you know, the distinct features that make Japanese food what it is versus Korean food. Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. I think that in any in any art form or in even restaurants or anything like music too right like we're always constantly looking at other people in the scene what they're doing and to be honest like we steal all the time like we 
we we're inspired by people that have already done it, right? So mm-hmm. to your point, we are, I personally am very inspired actually by Japanese cuisine, Japanese culture, Japanese people in, in terms of what they stand for and the way they've been really able to execute uh, their cuisine and the culture. And I mean, if you look at kind of the history of sushi too, it's so fascinating. When, they, when sushi was first introduced to America, it actually happened in California, that's where it started. But people were actually really, they were kind of turned off by it. They're like, what is this? Like, why are we eating raw fish with, with rice? Like, what did, what, and they're eating with their hands. Like, everyone was just like freaking out. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of very normal to be like, hey, let's go get sushi, right? So yeah. I think education plays a big part in this in terms of uh, getting people to try new things. So I think I am constantly inspired by other cultures and cuisines and, and seeing kind of the, the historical pattern of which uh, some some dishes that maybe were seen as too foreign have become kind of commonplace. Okay. So I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by the fact that like sushi is now commonplace for for Americans, you know. So I'm hoping that uh, Korean cuisine can kind of have the same place too. What can you say about Korean cuisine specifically that could um, you can really see resonating with people um, in Western culture, um, us Americans, knowing? Um, what the current like tastes are right now and things like that like what can you you know just like give us an idea of like what um what could catch on or like what you think like is really great to introduce to a western culture yeah i mean the biggest thing for me i think is there's two things one is i think korean food is known to known for its spicy ingredients like kimchi is obviously our the most well-known dish that we have, um, which is just kind of like a spicy Napa cabbage. But, uh, you know, kimchi is one. And then the other thing I think, um, it's actually a method. So fermentation, like fermentation, I think is interesting to talk about. And I think it's, it's a very trendy thing right now, actually everywhere. Everyone's talking about fermentation, fermenting things. And the, the, the fact, the matter of fact is Korean people and people in Asia have been fermenting things for centuries like centuries mm-hmm. because Korea, if you, if you look at the country, it's, it's a peninsula, but it's a very actually mountainous country. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, um, Koreans, when they wanted to transport food and, 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 and kind of a sustenance, they would have to ferment it because they would have to preserve that over time to get through these kind of mountainous areas and be able to transport for, uh, food from point A to point B. And fermentation was the answer. So it was a method and technique that was discovered centuries ago that I think is kind of gaining more attention as of late recently because uh, more chefs are fermenting things. Um, but that's awesome. That's awesome for me to see because that means that like if more chefs worldwide, globally, are trying to ferment things, that means that more people are going to get familiar with that technique and then in essence, they're also going to look at Korean cuisine because a lot of Korean cuisine, we use a lot of fermentation. So I would say fermentation is the biggest thing. Um, and kimchi, I mentioned kimchi because I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing kimchi like everywhere. Like I even saw it on, I don't know, like kimchi on pizza or kimchi in a burger. Like kimchi is becoming very uh, synonymous with Korean cuisine. And I've, I've been seeing it in a lot of like different restaurants from fast food all the way up to fine dining. in in restaurants outside of like Korean restaurants, you know, and even like in a French restaurant, I've seen it. So Mm -hmm. that's been pretty cool. So I would say those two things would, would be the, would be my answer. Yeah. And that makes sense because I've had, um, two Korean roommates, uh, whenever I dormed and, um, you know, kimchi was 
already something that was going on and people rec- widely recognized as right. you know Korean food and that was that was like 10 years ago um at the very <laughs> earliest yeah. so um you know no surprise there that's awesome um i remember in our first interview we talked about um the ideal um restaurant setting for you and now you're in it so i remember a specific um aspect of our conversation when we talked about presentation uh, because you know we talked about food by this point but there's also the presentation aspect of a um a restaurant you know it has a look it has a feel and you know visually um because i've because of how long i've known you i've just been able to kind of sense like how that looks like for you there uh, there's a lot of minimalism is what yeah. primarily is there so um you know not necessarily about like your current gig but more just so in general like as your vision as far as um the presentation of a restaurant and how that ties in with korean culture because i remember you know this was like one of the most fascinating things about our first conversation is how closely related they are um yeah sure so i think minimalism is definitely something i'm a big fan of and i've become more interested in i think that there's a beauty in take in kind of shedding away things and less is certainly more in a lot of sense especially for me and when it comes to my lifestyle i think I, I, for example, I'm not a hoarder. I literally, I, I love throwing things away. <laughs> I just like oh, I love same. throwing things away. It's to a point where like I'll throw things away, and then my girlfriend will get mad at me for doing so. And I'm like, Are you even? so. Anyways, minimalism <laughs> is a very big part in my life. Um, I think, I think it's also a vehicle for me to kind of express my passions, right? So I think Korean food, also the way I, I talk about it, I think is very minimalist because. In a day and age where like we're bombarded by you know Instagram and all the social media platforms out there, and we're just like there's all this we're living in an information age, right? Yep. And I think there's something kind of quite beautiful about just going getting straight to the point, you know, keeping it short and sweet, and succinctness, and just keeping it very concise because people are not able to kind of digest information as as they used to just because right. we're always constantly bombarded by it. So. I think minimalism plays a big role in that, and I think even the restaurant I'm at now, I would say, is a very fairly minimalist restaurant in terms of the decor and interior design and the way we present our food. The service style is very minimalist. Um, so, for me, like in terms of my design philosophy, for sure. I mean, as you know as well, I love neutral tones. I also love kind of like the off-white balance of things, and 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 um, that's been always an interesting thing to look at. Um, but yeah, I think that Korean cuisine and minimalism can go hand in hand in terms of uh, what we're trying to do. And uh, I think it, they will always be kind of uh, synonymous. When did you know that this is the business you wanted to be in and what exactly sparked your interest? Yeah, so I when, when, when I went to Korea, right, to live with my dad, my dad previously had never cooked ever in his life because my mom would be kind of the cook okay. in, the, in the house. And uh, my mom, my dad was, he's a very inspiring guy. So this is what he did. He was like, you know, I need to be able to kind of not only provide for my, for my sons, but also I want to be able to kind of cook home meals for them, right? right? There's nothing better than like a home-cooked meal. Definitely. So he... Actually, before being in the restaurant, he's he's in the restaurant business now. But before he was in the restaurant industry, 
he was in shipping and logistics, which has nothing to do with restaurants. And he decided then and there when we moved that he would go to culinary school at the age of, I don't know, 40 something, because he wanted to learn how to properly cook and mince and dice and prepare meals. And so he went to a culinary school in Korea and then, um, he was then cooking meals for us at home, which were like the, the best <laughs> meals I've ever had, honestly, in my life. Like he, this guy was just like plating up Michelin star plates. Like it was just like <laughs> the presentation was beautiful. Right. Like he, he was going nuts and he'd be, he would just cook such delicious meals. Um, and I think out of that kind of love and providing for us through cooking, he was then uh, inspired to open a restaurant. And that's actually how he got into the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he opened his own little place, and I was 13, 14 at the time, and um, my dad is a workaholic, you know, single dad, workaholic, he's always at work, that's all he talks about. So one day, or, or rather, like, during my time in high school, um, the one way to spend time with my dad, naturally, was to literally go to the restaurant. <laughs> that's the only way I would spend time with this guy, because right. he was always at work. So at you know at in the school it was like three three thirty, I would just go take a bus straight to his restaurant, and I think one day I was just like you know what hey dad let me let me do something let, let me help you what can I do you know I, I was just kind of tired I, I didn't want to just sit on my ass all day and I also really wanted to help out in any little way possible and being this. 13 year old I think my dad like didn't trust me with anything whatsoever so like you know what I mean if you really want to help you can go wash dishes or something and, uh, and uh, I took that I took that challenge and I was like you know what okay so I went back there started washing dishes I, I think I did that for a few months actually and uh, I think I, I mastered I, I got really good at it and I, I actually really enjoyed it um, watch being a dishwasher like yeah. there was something cool about seeing something dirty go in and it comes out clean. clean. Like you see, you see the result. It's like instant gratification almost. You like and process, right? Yeah, it was really fun. And then I got really curious about different positions in the restaurant. And so I eventually, uh, I was like a prep cook, line cook, and I was a cashier. I was a server. I, little, I did a little bit of everything in the time there when I was still going to high school. Um, and I think then and there, I decided that this is the industry that I wanted to be in. Nice, awesome. So let's talk about the podcast again. Um, you got season two going on right now. What has been what have been some of the most because you've been brushing uh, shoulders with uh, I believe nine guests you said and there's yeah. just they're coming from a lot of different influences and things like that. What have been some of the more interesting stories or like um, realizations that you've come across as you've been collecting these stories? Um. So you're right, nine Asian American restaurateur chef owners, all nine of them though are from, like I said, a different uh, country, like an Asian country. Mm-hmm. But the common thread here amongst the nine, even though they have such fascinating stories and, and kind of where they come from and how they were raised are all different, it all comes down to, I think, cultural storytelling, preserving the narrative, mm-hmm. carrying on the family legacy and the family recipe. And the biggest thing is just being unapologetically them meaning these guys that i featured are opening restaurants that they want to be opening you know these restaurants are actually very mission and purpose driven there's a purpose to why people open restaurants nowadays something interesting that kind of happened with one of the conversations i was having is the restaurants we're seeing now especially asian restaurants are very different from the first wave of like chinese restaurants for example that opened up 
a hundred, couple hundred years ago when Chinese people first immigrated to the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Because when immigrants came over here, they were opening restaurants for survival. Like, they had to do something to make a living, you know? Mm-hmm. It was out of pure necessity. Now, we're having a new wave where in the modern era, I think people that are younger in their 20s and their 30s, the people that I featured, they're opening restaurants not actually for necessity, but because they feel like they have an obligation to continue and preserve kind of this cultural narrative and also showcase where they're from. And it's it's really cool. It's like you talked about earlier, representation. Yeah, and I think that's that's been the biggest thing I've been noticing amongst the nine people is like they're just opening restaurants that they want to be opening, and there's a deeper mission and, and purpose in them as opposed to the restaurants that were opening up hundreds of years ago or how many years ago. I feel like I feel like um, back then a lot of people ate out of necessity. But yeah. now we are more like uh, we're looking for something specific because there sure. are many, so many food on the market that we want to try stuff that are like, uh, you know, very distinct to us. And also, I think it has to do with the fact that um, that's a really g- good way to learn about someone's culture. Um, so trying trying out new things. And if you're going to try something new, you want to go to somewhere that's providing like uh, uh, something very authentic. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. For sure. Word. So, um, have you by this point, um, as have you, like as you've been um, rolling out, because you rolled out episode one already, um, got through most of it, really enjoyed it, and um, have you been to all of these places since then? And can you talk about your experiences in um, in these restaurants? Um, that you have for the people that you've interviewed um, anything that particularly stood out or you know things like yeah I have definitely been to all the restaurants that um, that I featured in terms of the guests whether that was before I recorded them or after I recorded them Um, most of them I tried before I reached out to them mainly because I think that's I didn't want anyone on my show honestly on the season that I that I hadn't tried their food like it wouldn't make sense for me to reach out to someone and then i and then yep. later on i go to the restaurant it sucks you know i right. i wanted to make sure i i like their restaurant i like what they were doing so i've been to all of them um i most recently was at madame vo uh bbq which is actually the first vietnamese barbecue restaurant in new york by oh, wow. jimmy lai who's who's a uh, who's someone that's coming up on episode three and that was a really cool experience because all, 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 the only barbecue I really know is Korean barbecue. I think there was a lot of similarities in, in Vietnamese barbecue and Korean because they provided kind of a way to like wrap up your uh, meat with other vegetables and pickled daikons and, and you can make it into the, kind of this like wrap, which we also do in Korean barbecue. So that was an interesting parallel. Um, Sakura Yagi, who is the COO of a restaurant group called TIC, she runs 13... Six, some crazy amount of restaurants in New York City. So if you go to the East Village on 10th Street, there's all these. There's a pocket of Japanese restaurants, and she actually owns and all operates of all of them, which Woo! is so crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So she, it's it's very it's a very smart model too, because she has she she specializes in one specific thing, right? So meaning, she has one restaurant that literally focuses on Japanese curry. She has one restaurant that focuses on uh, it's a 
Japanese tea dessert shop. She has one that focuses just on shabu shabu. It's just like Japanese hot pot. She has one restaurant that just does ramen. She has one shop that just does like, uh, you know, soba. So she's kind of made a really cool market and niche for herself on that little street on 10th Street. Um, she's also expanded into Midtown as well as West Harlem wow. uh, with her restaurants. So she's really impressive. And I like all of her restaurants. Um, Simon, who, who was, you know, my first episode his restaurant code is amazing man i mean it's a it's a korean barbecue restaurant but it's it's very upscale and it's the little touches that he has at that restaurant are super luxurious and i'm really proud of what he's doing all these restaurants you know have been really cool to kind of go out as a guest yeah all right i want to be clear about uh the services that you provide for this restaurant as well as if you've ever thought about opening your own um, opening my own, yeah. I mean, I think anyone that gets into the restaurant industry as, as a profession, as a career, and makes it their thing, I think it, I think it would be a lie to say that they haven't ever thought of opening their own, right? I think when we work for other people, we work for other people's dreams and, and visions. We always think about what if, like what if this was my place, or what if, what could I, what would I do differently? Right. So um, I think the answer is yes. Uh, I do want to have my own place at some point. I think I'm pretty happy, though, with where I'm at now and what I'm going through currently, um, but it's definitely in the back of my head. Great. Um, you know, uh, one of the episodes that I was listening to, I think he was, I think his name was Simon. I'm not yeah, entirely sure, but I think his story was very interesting because he started going to finance school and then he, um, after a while, he decided to go back work. Uh, he was working with his family. And this is how he ended up becoming the the owner or something. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting the story straight. But uh, uh, do you feel like currently you having like a similar, your story is going to be very similar where you getting, you getting all these experiences and all uh, uh, trying to, to uh, gain all the knowledge and then go back and do something with your dad where it's actually something, uh, 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 where it's more family, uh, uh, family oriented than, uh, uh, than anything. Uh, so with Simon, he, so he actually did grow up in the restaurant business as well, like myself and working for his family restaurant, but he went to Baruch for finance and then ended up at UNLV for hospitality. And, uh, once, once he went to college and he graduated, he actually never went back to the family business ever. He, he was always oh. kind of on his own and, and did his own thing. So, I mean, I guess my story could be similar and I might be on a similar timeline. So but you're not thinking about going to the family, like starting like some sort of family business. Is it going to be something you will be doing on your own? Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think there's an interesting dynamic with working with your family. I think... Uh, I've, I've worked with my dad before. I've worked for him before. And he and I obviously share similarities. But there's also a lot of differences, whether that's just kind of by nature of just our, our age difference or cultural differences. You know, we grew up with different uh, surroundings as well. And I'm, I'm definitely more of a, of a Western philosophy than he has. So... Uh, I would say, obviously, I do want to work with him at some point, but I think that's just 
way, way, way in the future. I think I would want to do something on my own, to be quite frank. Um, that is a representation of myself. And maybe later on, there'll be a homecoming. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I, I think, think it's best to honestly um, try not to work with your family. Yeah. Do, do you think it's also, it's, it's also because uh, of the difference when you're looking at it in terms of your generation and, you know, his generation? Yeah, there's a there's a huge difference, man. In terms of like the people that are like I said are opening restaurants now, and and and, and the people that are in our age group, their twenties or thirties. And uh, my dad, you know, he just turned fifty this year. He's still very he's a very young guy, but I think that there's still a lot of differences in the way we think, but also the way we perceive things. Um, like technology is is also like the biggest gap too between. I think the baby boomers and I hate the term millennials, but the millennials, because <laughs> right. um, it has such a de- negative connotation for whatever reason. When I really don't think the millennials are, yeah. are they're all, they aren't all that bad. I mean, there there are a few of us that are actually pretty great. <laughs> but. No, I think so too. It's just the way that people um, the way that people refer to it is yeah, just, yeah. that's just what it is. But anyhow, um, la- last question as we wrap up. It's just been. It's just been really cool hearing the progression of just this journey so far. I'm excited to um, check out some of these restaurants you've been talking about, um, you know, especially with uh, this education in mind. I feel like you appreciate um, the brainchild, the brain children of all these um, restaurant owners, like in their yeah. in their shops, uh, as you learn more about them and hear like why they do what they do. So. I know I'm really gonna enjoy it when I when I finally get to check out this place and that place. Um, how has it been? Because by this point, up until recently, because I know you recently graduated from NYU. Um, when I was interviewing you, I think you were wrapping up with NYU, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And um, you mentioned when you were younger, you were in school, and then you will go out of school to help your dad at work. So yeah. now that you're like out of school and able to focus exclusively on not only work, but the passion project and the, um, the podcast and things of that nature, you know, what is, what has, uh, what have you seen? Because it's just super interesting, like for our age bracket, um, to transition from doing, doing school to, you know, doing the whole, uh, work thing. And then, you know, with the side project and then keeping in mind as well, that we live in a different time when, you know, it's no longer quote unquote easy street. It's like, you have, there's a lot of flexibility and, you know, we're using that for like our podcast and stuff, but what has the transition been like for you as you just been almost exclusively going into work or are you still factoring school into your routine? Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you asked me that question. Cause I think, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of my friends are, are just fresh out of college as well. I mean, I graduated just last year in May mm-hmm. and to be honest, it was very difficult post-graduation because I think for whatever reason we kind of had this idea that like oh once we graduate we get our diploma you know things are going to change but nothing changed (laughs) you know like nothing nothing changed like I thought for whatever reason like you know opportunities were going to come left and right and I was going to be handed things but it's not it really isn't and I think it was it was a uh a learning point for me that wow you know nothing is handed to you degrees and diplomas mean absolutely nothing and it's about who you know how you do it how you present yourself your personal brand and the past year has been interesting because i think it it was difficult in the beginning for sure for sure but later on i realized you know what 
I need to do something with the time I have because basically what was happening is when I was going to school, I was actually still working full-time in restaurants. That hasn't changed. Um, while I was doing school full-time, work full-time, I also did two clubs. I did a coffee club. I also did another club called the Restaurateur Club. And I was the president of both. So I had a, I was juggling a million things. And I also did this coffee catering company. Anyways, so I had all this stuff going on. And I think once school was out of the picture, that also meant the two clubs I did that took up a lot of my time was out of the picture as well because I was no longer an NYU student. So suddenly I had all this kind of quote-unquote free time uh, on top of my full work that I was already doing because I was so used to like working and staying busy all the time that a little part of me was a little empty, um, to be honest. And that was very challenging to fill. But I think the podcast has been an interesting way for me to continue some of the things I was, I was doing in school and transitioning that into more of, of my current work life. So I think the, the success or, or the transition for me and the way to have like a happy and fulfilling life post-graduation was to find substitutions to what I was doing and seeing how I can kind of take what I was doing in school and then do it in real life. Meaning the restaurant club that I did in school, I think that has kind of transpired into this restaurant podcast that I'm doing now, right? Yeah. And the coffee club that I did is going to hopefully, I actually have been roasting coffee on the side as well. So hopefully it transitions into something else too. So that has been my way of um, success, successfully, or at least attempting to transition into kind of this, uh, you know, adulting mode, if you will. Right. Um, I could tell you didn't so, want to use, say it like that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I want I want a better word for it, but it's definitely adulting. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it sucks. It really sucks. Uh, I think like, I think when you're in school, you don't know it, but you have it easy, you know, when you're a student, like, yeah, you're, you're poor and you're starving and you're hungry, but like, you still have a roof over your head. You know, you still have certain places to go at certain times. You have constant social interaction around you. Like, it's it's pretty comfortable. Yep. Once you're outside of that environment, it's really up to you to do what you want to do with your time. Like, you can schedule your life. You can choose to meet who you want to meet. And so I think that could be challenging for a lot of people, you know, that are that, are, that have been kind of used to getting handed things or, like, getting told hey you need to put in your homework at this deadline like there's nothing like that anymore in the real world it's it's really more about like how, how you decide to approach everything and you have to initiate too so um i think that's like the biggest difference yeah for sure and i relate to that a lot i've been out of school for about three over three years and the um, everything that you just said as far as how you manage life outside of that is 100 percent true what i found like you said is just find time find find ways to fill time and in the meanwhile just understand that a lot of what was taught to you um and this is just true in just this information age because we're able to learn a lot faster which means that we can you know complete research quicker and one of the things that i have found is that a lot of things that a lot of concepts because you know this is a very western thing like that western mindset that we have a lot of it's dated and a lot of it, you know, needs updating and, you know, that really won't come unless um, you have individuals who are always trying to present things in a different way. But, you know, right now we still have a lot of people in our respective cultures and all cultures for everybody who's listening who, you know, have people 
that are a lot older um, because it's typically where it starts and they just hold on to specific ideas and philosophies that prevent um, the adaptation to occur because you know there are all these industries you know the restaurant industry which you have seen has adapted to fit the times we talked about that in our first conversation with like technology implementation into it um technology itself like social media adapts over time you know like i um it it's been um you know there was days where we were customizing myspace pages and then like the other day my my student was like yo i learned this song on tiktok and i'm just like this is ridiculous but you know that adapts like that that adaptation is and it just happens all the time but um you know everything you said just said is spot on and you know understanding that the hustle starts even before you know the hustle starts when you realize um this quote has always come up in my mind um, and in my feed recently, so I'm going to say it because I feel like it's yeah. appropriate. Um, man has two lives. The second one begins when he realizes that he only has one. So um, that's kind of how I see that realization that you talked about where it's just like, okay, nothing's being handed to me. Um, this life is really just a mortal thing because when things are handed to you you take life for granted and when you take life for granted you walk around like you're coming back like gary v has this thing where it's just like look everybody's walking around like they're coming back everybody right. he, he he's walking around like he's he's coming back twice or thrice and it's just so uh, interesting but um arnold thank you so much it was a great conversation thank you um yeah thanks I'm, guys yeah absolutely Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Vices and Vultures and considering being a supporter of this project. Even leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform goes a long way for us. There is more information about this episode as well as who we are in the show notes. This includes all of our social media links so you can see us and not just hear us. Vices and Vultures is brought to you by Aesthetic and is based in the great state of New York. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more episodes and tune in next time to Vices and Vultures.